0: Well, as uh, mentioned earlier, uh, we are beginning a seven-week, a uh, seven-sermon study. Uh, One of Jonathan's projects uh, this summer was to survey the congregation, to find out some of the uh, biblical, theological life questions that you had, and then to uh, put them in order as to uh, the preponderance of requests. And then we're going to uh, view these in a uh, descending order. Uh, there are many, many questions that asked, you know, Mark asked the question this morning, which we, is not on the list, what day is the Lord coming back? Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know the answer. That's an easy one, we don't know. And if I did know, you know for sure, certain that's not the day, because the Lord said no man knows the day, and if I said that's the day, you can be sure that's not the day. Okay, so I don't know how that all works. Raj, do you know the day? On Monday. Yeah, because uh, when you think not, that's when you'll <laughs> you. nobody thinks on a Monday. That's that's true. That is is that true? Amen. Are we thinking now? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> Are we? So anyway, uh, the, the number seven question, and we're going to address this today, is how to know uh, God's will for your life. And uh, we're going to, s- s- I'm going to attempt to teach you how to think biblically about this. This is a very big question uh, that on Christian college, I had a joy of teaching uh, for a number of years, and then a seminary professor, this is always a real big one, uh, a student would come up, ready to graduate, Prof, I got three churches that want me to come and candidate. What do you think? Well, what is God's will and then when I was in the college, forever, you know, a guys, uh, half the guys there didn't notice the girls until they were like second semester senior, you know. They did their roles, they got their comps all finished, and it's like, oh my word, I've got to get a wife. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, as much as we said, don't stay in the dorm room praying, get out there in the field and do some field work, you know. <laughs> they're like, oh my, they're in a sweat, and they come visit, they set up an appointment. Uh, how do I know which one's the right one? Right, all the—I can't tell you the number of appointments I've had with that. And through the years, uh, as as a pastor, you know, or uh, how about a job? Right, you know, I got—I'm uh, looking for a job. Then three come in at the same time, right? Three, jobs. which Lord, which is the one? You know, all these kind of things. And so, what is God's will? What is God's will for my wife? Oh, my, wife. <laughs> my life, which in my case involves my wife. How's that? Uh, but, uh, so we're going to look at that. Like many pastors, let's be... Oh, before I do that, let me... i like to give you some books to read and you ought to have in your library. Number one, I, you ought to have MacArthur's book on the sufficiency of Scripture. All right, that is an outstanding text Write that down, The Sufficiency of Scripture, John MacArthur. Find that on Amazon.com, probably get it cheap. If you're real cheap, get a used one. You get it really cheap, that kind of thing. All right, Sufficiency of Scripture. Number two, this book, Gary Friesen, when he came out with this book in the uh, late 70s, it's called Decision-Making and the Will of God. The whole evangelical world was rocked by this book. Because it had been really thinking the wrong way, if I can uh, uh, summarize it for a long time, decision making and the will of God. Actually, this was Gary Friesen, F R I E S E N. It was his doctoral dissertation made readable in the, and he does an outstanding job on this. Had Robinson, one of his former professors. Uh, wrote the uh, foreword in it. And then most recently, Had Robinson wrote a book, and he has Friesen do the foreword in, so they kind of like tag-team it. And this one's called Decision-Making by the Book, Haddon Robinson. This is popular. Uh, I'm giving a lot of thought as to maybe this ought to be the book that the men use for men's fraternity. So we'll take what we present here tonight, and we'll walk through it in eight or nine weeks on Monday night with the men, uh, men's fraternity. I'm I'm really leaning that way. Decision-making by the book. So I'm going to present the biblical teaching on this, but I really encourage you that uh, both of these books, in addition to MacArthur's Sufficiency of Scripture, will give you all that you need uh, to understand as you delve in and study the Scriptures as to what is God's will for my life? How do I find that? and everything related to that, okay? So like, like many pastors, I too am asked the question, how can I know the will of God? I, I'm often reminded that this question uh, doesn't come from a pagan. They could care less, right? The heathen, the godless, the unsaved, they, they don't want God's will for their life, so they're never even asking it. They don't want God, period. It usually comes from the heart of a man or woman, boy or girl, that loves the Lord, they do. They have a love for the Lord Jesus, they, and, and they want, they have a desire. They want to please the Lord, and so it usually comes from someone who uh, is in the family of God, and so I appreciate that. Uh, usually, the question relates to making a difficult choice in life. I've given you a few of them on your handout. Should I go to college? Some, will, some wonder that, you know, the college isn't for everyone. But should I go to college? And if so, where? And what should I study? Is it brain stu- surgery? Or is it paleontology? Or is it social science? Or do I want to be an educator? Do I want to do uh, whatever, right? The whole bitch. And then they'll ask, should I marry? You know, God doesn't have everyone to marry, but, but many marry. Should I marry? And whom do I marry if so? What about a job? We've already indicated that. Where should I live? All these kind of important life, life questions. No one ever has asked me, should I have Wheaties or Cheerios? Do I wear the black suit or the blue suit? Unless it's a wedding and they want to know what is everyone else wearing, right? No one asks me, you know, do we go to Burger King or, or Wendy's? You know, we make thousands of decisions today, right? But usually when you're asking, what is God's will for me? It's the big ones, the big ones that we're thinking about, the ones that are hard to make. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Unfortunately, I suggest to you there's a lot of fuzzy thinking about knowing God's will. In the evangelical church, a lot of craziness. I mean, I've seen, I think I I say I've seen it all, but I'll tell you, I, I do see some new things from time to time. I mean, you've never been guilty of saying, Lord, what what do you want me to do when you take your Bible and flip it open and read the verse, right? You never do that, right? No. But I've seen people do that. Well, I don't like that one. Let's do it again. Now we're in two out of three, you know. <laughs> right? Or roll the dice, snake eyes, right? Or the divining rod. That's a roommate, right? They're going to help you do what? Should I marry him? Should I not marry him? You know? I've seen, I've seen all kinds of things, and we'll, we'll talk about that. A lot of fuzziness. These vary for thinking that uh, God's will is something that you must discover. That's a big one. That's a big one. I have to it's, it's hidden. I have to discover it, and uh, that's my quest in life. or to thinking that if I'd missed his best, that I'm consigned to second best forever. A lot of people think that. It's like I'm walking this perfect line, and if I go off here, I married a, a do And now I'm in trouble the rest of your you, Listen, you may be in trouble the rest of your life, but it's not because of what you're thinking on God's will. You see what I mean? There's a lot of craziness with this kind of thing. When Faith and I were in high school and college, it was the idea of the dot. You know, this idea of the one perfect will and the right. You got it. You got to get it right, or you're you know, you're in Plan B mode. That was so common, wasn't it, dear? It was a fear among us that uh, you know that we uh, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss God's best. Those kind of words would be expressed, and it's a terrifying thought. You know that uh, I may be I may be uh, going in the wrong direction in all these important things. Well, God's wonderful word guides us in this important area of life, and we're going to focus on that. Listen, most decisions in life, most of them, are not the right and wrong decisions. Can I say it? Those are easy. You know, we know what the right and what the wrong is. Our problem is we'll do the wrong. We shouldn't, but we do at times. Hard decisions are the right and the left. They're the non-moral. Do I go left, right? I better get it right. Right or do I go left? Do I take this job or that job? Those are the hard ones. And God holds us responsible for that. And we can't shift it. We can't. Making good decisions is seldom easy. It's hard work. I often say that, and you've heard me say that. There are two things people shouldn't know, all right? They shouldn't know two things. A, how sausage is made. Do you like sausage? You don't want to know. Janae told me that's why she makes her own. She showed me a picture hanging in your kitchen, right? In your dining room. Sausage links hanging there. You don't want to know, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, just forget I said it. The second thing is how decisions are made. Now that doesn't mean how you make your decision though sometimes it's pretty messy. It can be a hard, arduous, messy affair. making good decisions it makes me laugh. I've been on several boards and and of course church church boards of the years and the agonize over decisions. We'll come back, we'll look at it, we'll get data. Sometimes people want to data it to death so that they don't make a decision, you know, and all of that. And then finally, a decision comes to, and then it's simply announced, let's say, to the church, and you like, oh, wow, you guys made it. You have no idea the sausage we were making in the back room for about three months, or at a board level, or this or that. You know, <laughs> just incredible Sausage indecision. But we've got to make wise decisions. And we make them. You'll make thousands of them in the course of the day. Most of the minor, it's the left and the right, not the right and the wrong that are the hard ones. Well, let's just simple format here. Uh, two questions helping us to understand God's will for our lives. Because I really believe if you love the Lord, if you're saved, uh, you, uh, you hunger for God's guidance in your life. As you make decisions that will most uh, bring Him glory, that should be your desire—to most bring Him glory. Well, the first uh, question is: How are we to understand what is usually meant by the phrase "God's will"? God's will. Well, there are three. There are three. Usually, three ways God's will is is thought about. Now, let's just unfold this, and this is a helpful way to to think about this in your own life, and then as you have conversations with others around, when you think about this whole business of God's will, this whole topic. A, the first is God's sovereign will. Bible clearly teaches it. Uh, God is sovereign, and uh, he has a plan, and that it includes all things. Look at number one, I define it. This is God's predetermined plan, it's devised before time from eternity past, and uh, it's absolutely certain. It's not up for grabs. It's absolutely certain. The Bible teaches that about the plan and the purpose and the will of God. God has a will to call out of people, the saving faith. It's absolutely with certitude. There will not be, will not be in heaven, and, and God and the Lord will say, boy, we're missing some people here. Boy, I, I planned for some to be saved. Where are they? Mm -mm. It will be exactly in the right time, and everyone will be present and accounted right according to his plan. The Bible teaches that clearly from cover to cover. You cannot read his word. It's it's unmistakable. And yet, God's sovereign will is unknowable to us. You do not know it. God doesn't give it to you in a dream. He doesn't uh, flash it in the morning headline of the paper. You don't get an email on it. I'm sorry, not even a text. He doesn't. It's hidden. It's mysterious. Sometimes the old writers call it uh, God's secret plan. It includes all things, great and small. All of it. Well, let's just look at a few scriptures that teach this. Look at at Daniel chapter 4. Daniel uh, in this this, uh, passage with Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, notice uh, the words and all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing, and, and that is he, God, does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, and no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? I mean, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar clearly understood it, especially in Neb's life at that point. That God reigns supreme. He has a will that's unstoppable. It's a It's the great juggernaut of of, of the cosmos bringing about his will perfectly. You and I, you know, our wills are, 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 are often thwarted. We want to do this, we want that done, and it's not done. It's not done. It's not done. It doesn't happen. We didn't see, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. God never said, I didn't know. He knows all things, and he brings it about accordingly. And nobody can hold it back. Look at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 1 Paul writing in this grand dox, doxology of uh, referring to the church and God's plan of calling out a people in Ephesians 1:11 they have it on the on the board here in him that's Christ were we were also chosen having been noticed predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. There's the word will. It's his will. It's a sovereign will, his purpose, his plan. It's sovereign. So when we speak of uh, knowing God's will, the first way it's helpful to think about it is that God has a sovereign will. And it's, it's unstoppable. Man is not big M, able to thwart God. Never. God's sovereign will. One other verse I want you to look at. And I love this verse. It's the first sermon ever preached in the church. Look at Acts chapter 2. Here you see that uh, mystery of human action and the divine purpose, bringing about the very sovereign will of God. Acts, uh, Peter is speaking, and uh, he is, uh, uh, this is, I I said, on the day of Pentecost, the very first sermon there in Jerusalem. Many of them were a part of... uh, crucify him, crucify him, just days before. They knew they had killed the Lord of glory. The Lord's been resurrected. Now he's ascended. Now it's Pentecost, and Peter is preaching. Back it up. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse, uh, verse uh, 22 and 23. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you, look at this, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross." But God raised him from the dead. There there you see, juxtapose God's sovereign will, his plan, and the events of wicked men. And they did it freely. They They crucified Don't make me say it, Lord. I won't want to say crucify him. No. They told Pilate, crucify him. We want Barabbas. And they drove the nails in. They spit at him. They beat him. They hung him to the cross. They freely acted within their own desire and hatred of God and of his Christ. And yet in that and through that and above that, mysteriously, I can't explain it more than what the text present, God brings about his plan and his purpose, his will. It's, it's marvelous when you look at it. And so when we speak of the will of God, you have to first of all note that the Bible teaches that there is the sovereign will of God that is unstoppable. But notice three, the problem for us is that we cannot know His will ahead of time. Only after the fact, when we look in the rearview mirror of life, and we go like, oh, I see, I think I know what God was doing. And even in that, it's still shrouded in great mystery. And God doesn't answer all our questions. Some will never be answered. But we see what God is doing to some way and some extent, and we're amazed at it. Well, that's God's sovereign will. But usually that's not what we're asking, is it, when we're saying, should I marry that bozo over there? You wouldn't put it that way. Maybe maybe her father, well, we won't go into that. There is a second... There's a second will we often think of, uh, and that is B. That's God's moral will. Moral will. And this is revealed to us only in the Bible. It's complete. It's 100%. God has given us, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.3, He's given us everything we need for life and for godliness. We don't need addendums. It's not like the Encyclopedia Britannica when I was a kid. They send out yearly updates. The annuals, I remember getting those, you know? Remember what we wrote back there? Scratch it. We found out we were wrong. Here's the update. Sort of a thing like that, right? The Word of God is complete. It's 100%. It's all that you and I need. For life, that means in its totality, and for godliness, to please the Lord. It's God's moral will revealed. Well, number one, uh, this will is God's moral commands uh, for us, and they teach us how we ought, ought. It's a word of moral obligation. We ought to live. And we know this. We have a conscience. And uh, look at some verses that actually, some of the verses uh, of the Bible actually say, uh, it is God's will for you. Let's look at, uh, uh, in fact, uh, look at it. I want to read a few more verses than what Jen was able to, to put up there for. Look at First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Paul writes to this beloved church that he was able to spend three weeks at. And he writes this letter, and he tells it's God's will. He's going to speak to them about uh, their, their morals. Verse 3 of First Thessalonians 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. means holy. That you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him, Incidentally, that's by abusing each other sexually. He sees it as defrauding when we do that. We ought not to do that. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. He actually uses the word there, calling us to be holy, to be sexually pure in in a pagan day. I mean, this is really a day of, of gross lewdness everywhere you go. Sex sells, and it's everywhere. And God calls us out of this culture, probably not as bad as the culture at Corinth. There's still a residue of, uh, of a Christian sense of remembrance, though slight in our culture, but it bombards you and I every day. God says, I want you to live holy. It's God's will that you do that. Flip the page, look at First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. He's going to use the expression again in verse 18. And we have it here. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's, it's actually identified, this is God's will. This, he's calling us to be uh, those that have an attitude of gratitude in all things. Now, I've said it a thousand times, right? It's not because you don't get a flat tire and jump out of the car and say, yippee, thank you, God, I got a flat tire. Uh, There are places that we have for you (laughs) if you... No, that's not what you do. But in that, you realize God uh, is is probably teaching you something, and you can be gratified for that. We dropped Jonathan off last night at the airport, came back, and uh, I have a little uh, computer on my thing that shows how much how many miles I can drive until I run out of gas. And it shows 70. The problem was, when I got near Cedar Cliff High School, I ran out of gas. I'm tapping the thing. It says I got 70 miles. I don't know how that thing was computing. Maybe it was modern math. Ran out of math. And and I had to push the car. The Lord was good. It was, it was right in front of a gas station. You know where that is, Mark, right in front of... Right, McDonald's, and Faith dry, uh, drove it, right? No, no, you steered it, right? She kept going, I'll get out of the car. No, you stay in the car. <laughs> it's not, she said, well, you're on blood pr- No, you're in the car. I'm not doing that, right, Jim? That's the, la- that's the bottom. <laughs> Jim, you steer. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. But anyway, I wasn't going like, "Yeah, thank you, Lord. I ran out of gas. No, that's stupid. That's always, You see that's the first, so where's he going with this? But in all things, we realize that God is in control, his sovereign will, and we give thanks. That's God's will for you. That's what he's calling us to do. To have an attitude of gratitude always. Well, look at 3 quickly. There are other verses in God's wonderful word that uh, give us his moral commands for our life and the way we ought to live as his children that are more general in scope look at second uh, corinthians uh, chapter 6 many of you know this verse quite well and uh, it it's up here on our our uh, monitors well do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or What uh, fellowship can light have with darkness? You see, there's a call there that uh, you and I, as believers in Christ, in a general sense, it doesn't say it's God's will, but it's, it's a command and it's in God's word that we are, be careful on forming partnerships with those who are unsaved. So what does this mean? How do we apply this general sense? How do we know? Well, it means that if you are single and you know the Lord is your Savior, you're you're not to marry, uh, you're not to marry an unbeliever. You're not. That's real simple. And if you do, you're in disobedience. It's a sin that's forgivable, but you're going to suffer for that. I know. I grew up in a, a home that was like that, and I saw many 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 de- days where my mom had all kinds of tears. Uh, because of the uh, the spiritual separation between she and my dad. And uh, as one of the older in the family, I, I bore that and saw that firsthand. Don't you do it. I don't care if you love him or he loves you. Please and say, well, I, f- I, I feel, some people say this, I feel God wants me to do this. No way. We're going to show that later. God will never lead you. His will for your life will never lead you Contrary to the word of God. Never, never, never. Listen, when God says don't, he really means don't hurt thyself. Good King Jim there, right? But you'll hurt yourself. Be careful. Be careful with business arrangements. Be careful. Be careful. You have, you have a different mindset and desire. Be careful. Any sort of, of relationship that's a binding relationship, re- remember, the passage in second corinthians uh, chapter uh, 6 verse 14 and then how about <clears throat> uh, the the uh, the commands of the great uh, uh, the, uh the the 10 commandments where's that found exodus 20 how many of you read it off the sheet <laughs> i forgot i put that on there you should know where the 10 commandments are found exodus 20 And uh, we we find these commands in verse 1. Turn to that. If if not, we discover that God, uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make uh, for yourself an idol. And third, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And four, you're to remember the Sabbath day. Thank you. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then the, the latter uh, six deal with our human relationships. In verse 12, honor your father and your mother. You should not murder or cause to be put to death. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not commit false testimony against your neighbor. And the 10th and final, you should not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything. It belongs to your neighbor. The, the Ten Commandments, they are the expression of God's uh, moral law, his moral will for us. And uh, God will, if he saved you... He's given you a new disposition, a new heart, and the Spirit of God, and He, he will cause you, not only direct us to, to live this way, but enable you and I to do His will and to live this way, holy and godly. And when we fail, we find repentance and confession and forgiveness and cleansing. Uh, but that's God's moral will for, your, for my life and for yours. Revealed to us only in the Bible. It's not It's not in the anywhere else. No other books. It's not in the clouds. There's a farmer in Indiana who, uh, the stories told, was out plowing corn. <clears throat> he looked up in the sky and he saw the clouds. And they were so beautiful. And he looked at them and he saw a pea and what he thought was a sea. And he jumped off his... Uh, As John Deere ran into the house and said he told his wife, we've got to sell the farm. She said, are are you nuts? What happened to you? And she said, well, God spoke to me from the clouds. And I saw P and C, and I knew that he wanted me to preach Christ. And she very wisely said to her husband, who needed instruction at that moment, how do you know that God didn't tell you to plant corn? You see, it's not in anything outside of the Scriptures. It is the book, the whole book, and nothing but the book that God has revealed His moral will to us. For some point as Christians, you and I are to know God's moral will, and we are to live accordingly. We are to live under it. We are under the law of Christ, and we are to do it. We are not to, to do otherwise. This is a This is a right and a wrong. Those are the easier things. It's not the left and the right that oftentimes we think of when we think of God's will. So let's quickly move to the third. We have God's sovereign will that uh, is uh, unstoppable, but our problem is it's unknowable. Then there's the moral will of God revealed from cover to cover in God's book. But third is uh, what is commonly called God's individual will for each, each of us. And this is usually within the, the domain of which we're thinking when uh, you and I are asked, or when we're thinking, what is God's will? Is it uh, left or is it right? This is the idea, and I have on your handout, of God's detailed life plan encompassing every decision we make and is the basis for daily guidance. What is the plan? Where is the map? Left or right? Lord, I'm waiting. I'm listening. We talked about it briefly. Anna mentioned uh, Wednesday night, uh, you you remember uh, a guy named Gideon. And uh, in Judges chapter 6, he wanted to know the will of God too. Remember that? And sometimes we'll talk about putting the fleece out. Well, don't you do that. Don't you do that for at least two reasons. Why is that not biblical? A, God had already told Gideon what He was going to do. Now the very fact that He condescended way down to a disobedient man who didn't believe, and so His problem was a unbelief. He had to put you know some some uh, something out there, and if it got wet there, some of the wool, then okay, I guess. And then he had to do it again. Just the very that guy was in deep trouble. Didn't trust God. And second. As Anna mentioned, that's testing the Lord thy God. God had simply said, this is what I'm going to do. And God in his infinite patience helped that young judge defeat the Midianites through that. That is not normative for you and for me. So don't be setting your kitty cat's milk bowl outside on a dry night. Lord, if it fills up, I know what you want me to do. Don't do it. That is out of the scope of what we're talking. Don't base it on on uh, Gideon because for a lot of reasons it was unbelief and it's testing the Lord thy God. All right, so how do we look at that? First of all, I have to say, number one, God certainly has a will for each one of us. I mean, it's a part of, I've already said, His sovereign will. I mean, you look a certain way, you walk a certain way, we live in this time, you're born in the family that you're born in, right? You have individual fingerprints that are all your own and they say the retina is, uh, is your own with the retina identification and stuff like that. You are unique. You're a snowflake, right? They're all unique. And God has his purpose and plan. And he has a plan and purpose for you and for me. He does. And, uh, and so we can take heart in it. The problem is, it's hidden, and it's unknowable to us. It is. And so number two, quickly, the idea of an individual will that somehow you and I must go around and discover, looking under uh, every rock, around every corner, is unbiblical. You will never find that in the Scripture. This individual will for daily guidance in the making of every decision. You'll never find it. Ever. So don't think wrongly on that. It's not found. You're free to live, you're free to serve, and you're free to choose your decisions within the boundaries of God's moral will. Now, when I was a kid, at a certain age, my mother would say to me, right? She would say, Terry, go out and play. And that day, they used to send the kids outside to play, right? Some of you remember that? Now it's like, no, we got Jack the Ripper next door, you know. (laughs) And you may have, but I don't know, we might have too, you know, but they sent us outside anyway, you know. Wear a helmet, like, it's tough out there. Anyway, and she would say at that age, I remember it's pretty young, you have to stay on the block. And uh, I don't know, there were 20 houses around the block in the corner. You cannot go off the block. That's the boundary. And uh, I think, don't tell her. I think most of the times I stayed within the block, and if I was within the block, I was within my mother's desire. And then when do I come home? When the street light comes on, you get yourself home. All right. So there you go. She gave me. Uh, I was obliged to obey, or my father was coming, you know, and I could do. It. I didn't have to say, can I go over to Tommy Murphy's house? No, don't bother me with that. He lives on the block. Go over there if you want. Can I go down to Carl Kendall's house? How about that? Or this and that? You know, like, no. Here's the block. Live within this. Get home when the light comes on. Listen, the same thing is true, and this may free up some of you. Within the moral will that God has revealed, some through specific commands, it is God's will. The rest through general Ten Commandments and others. You are free to live and to choose all of life's choices within that. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God said to them, enjoy this beautiful place. I I wish I could see it. Someday we'll see heaven, the glory of that. You can eat anything you want from any tree, whatever you want to do, except this one. This is the only one you can't. Well, Eve didn't go about saying, she might have asked him, what do you want for dinner, honey? I, I ask that a lot. What are we having for dinner? Faith thinks that's the big thing of the day, and I go like, mm, that might be. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> What's for dinner? What Eve didn't have to say, well, I, what should I do with the fruit here? Should I, n- not not the forbidden, but what should, should I make fruit salad? Maybe I ought to make pancakes and throw some... Uh, uh, strawberries in, Is it? Lord, what's your will? No, you can. Th- you're within the boundaries. Don't don't eat of this tree. You don't have to ask. I'm not going to lead you. Oh, here we are. It's pears. Thank you, Lord, for showing me it's pears tonight. I'm, I'm being facetious, but I'm making a point here. You see what I'm saying? You're free. Choose responsibly. You're accountable, and so am I. But God said, live, breathe, relax, enjoy. You saw that in Ecclesiastes, right? That's my will for you. What more can we say? Live within the boundaries. This little adage may help you. God has not given you and me as believers in Jesus Christ a specific road map. Now, I'm glad for AAA and go down to get my, my, sometimes the trip tick and, and the maps, and I love reading maps, but God has not given that to us. Sometimes you will say the Bible's a road map, and it does. It teaches us God's moral will. But you know, when you think about the countless decisions within the boundaries of God's moral will, God has given us a compass, a compass. This is the way. Stay ye in it. That's a better way of thinking about this when you think about the idea of the individual will. God has it. It's not known. I can't know it. I'm not to pray to seek to find it. Within the boundaries, I can truly make choices. Listen, leading up to those choices, let me say this. God has determined your background, your education, your preferences, all of these things, your gifts and abilities. God never said, well, I didn't know he was going to make that choice. I wanted him to be a teacher. He's He's a brain surgeon. How did that happen? No, all of these inclinations and all of that, God has made all of that. And you're able and freely able to choose. It's a compass. That's what the Word of God, the moral will, is. Not so much a right and wrong decision, but a left or right, free to choose within God's boundaries. That's what it's about. A compass. I remember when I was a Boy Scout, I learned how to use a compass. And uh, that was neat, to understand there's a magnetic north. Isn't that amazing? And that thing always pointed north. And bit by bit, I became a patrol leader in uh, Troop 164. I didn't get too many merit badges. Some of you guys are Eagle Scouts, and you look at me as not being a scout. Around the rabbit and through the hole and all that. I don't know what that is, Mark. (laughs) Dave, Dave, were you an Eagle Scout, too? Oh, boy. They're embarrassed here now. But my big adventure once was with a compass. I led my patrol to the Girl Scout camp. <laughs> I actually did that. Boy, I got in trouble. <laughs> they, the lady came out yelling. She was a scoutmaster. We weren't supposed to be over there. I guess. But the compass worked. That's the point to remember. The compass worked. Well, now let me dispel some verses that that uh, may have contributed to this wrong idea of this individual will. And it's one of my favorite verses. But I have to tell you that the King James translators, they, they got it wrongly. And in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, don't we love that verse? I love it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will, here's the word, direct Your path. Now, the word in the Hebrew, the NIV really got it right, and some modern translations got it right. He will make your path smooth, or he will make your path straight. Is the idea? Not, Lord, what's the decision, great or small, wheaties or Cheerios? Do I marry him or do I marry that guy over there? None of that. See actually proverbs three five and six the end of verse six is is saying the same thing as psalm one if uh, If you meditate on the Word of God, God will make your way prosperous, successful as God counts success. It may not be the way the world counts it, but in eternity it 's the way God counts it, and that 's what God will do that 's really what proverbs three five and six is teaching he'll make your steps smooth or straight, straight as the NIVA. NIV and so notice that another one that is often used is Psalm 32 this penitential Psalm verse 8 and Jen has it up here for us David writes I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go I will counsel you and watch over you. There's another verse that's commonly cited for this individual will that I'm supposed to somehow seek, and once I finally agonize and find it, God directs me whether I go left or whether I go right in these non-moral areas. Here's the problem. That's not what that verse means. Psalm 32 is David speaking. That's not the Lord speaking. And in fact, the, these are the confessional psalms 51 and 32, he, when he's in contrition, after his, he's, he's uh, confronted and rebuked with a sin with Bathsheba, 51 is first, and a part of Psalm 51, verse 13, he says, and, and, and Lord, restore me so that I can teach sinners your way. And then he writes Psalm 32 by the inspiration of the Spirit, and he's actually doing that there. He's talking about guiding and directing. He's talking to other is, Israelites. That's not God talking, so you've got to, who's speaking here? And that verse is, is often grabbed to say, well, look, God said this. Well, God's word said it, but it's David saying it in fulfillment of what he said in Psalm 51.13. Another one is uh, Paul in Colossians 1.9. Um, here, isn't it true that, uh, that Paul tells us that uh, we should be filled with the knowledge of his will? Did we get that once, uh, Colossians 1.9, Jay? Look at that. makes us lazy without looking it up. But to look at Colossians nine. It's often cited. Well, does, doesn't God have an individual specific will and uh, he's going to give that to us, a left and right decision type of a thing? Well, <clears throat> look at the context. When in doubt, look at the context. nine. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you read verses 10 and 11 that follow, you discover he's talking about God's moral will. He's talking about morality. We pray and walking a li- living a life that is worthy. That's moral. He's talking about God's moral will that they would be filled with an understanding of it so that they would live and be under the scriptures. That's what he's talking about. Well, Asking, then, how do we know God's will is uh, really not a biblical question because God uh, has told us his moral will. Let me suggest a better question by way of transition as we move to the second question. A better question, uh, it's better uh, uh, if we would ask, how do we make good decisions? Really, that's what we're seeking. We're saying, what is God's will for my life in this? How do we make good decisions? And so, the second question helping us to understand God's will for our lives. What are some principles that can guide us in making wise decisions? What are some principles living within the boundaries of God's word? A, you and I are to use our freedom to choose limited only by the law of love. You, you, you're familiar with the law of love there in romans uh, chapter 14 verse 21 uh, paul writes on those questionable areas of life that are not specifically stated in scripture he says in using your freedom to choose limit your choices by the law of love in other words paul writes if you uh, if uh, you have free you're free to eat you're free to eat meat that's been offered to idols what's an idol it's nothing and Man, you get those great, great filet mignon, right? Really cheap. You know, Paul, I go down and eat that stuff. Man, it's great. Loaded it up with mushrooms and onions. And anybody hungry here? And uh, enjoy that. But uh, so l- let's say all of a sudden you you come into the uh, uh, into the vicinity where one identifies himself as being a new believer, weak in conscience, and he comes out of that pagan background and he goes like. <gasps> I can't believe you're doing that. You're eating that meat that was offered the idols. Paul. And Paul said, you know what? The law of love, I'll restrain my freedom. I could certainly do that. Get it cheap. Sound like a good Jew. Get it cheap. Amen, Jenny. And uh, But you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'll limit my freedom when this weaker brother, weaker in conscience comes into view because I don't want to be a stumbling block to him. So within God's moral boundaries, free to choose fruit salad, whatever, right? Pizza with mushrooms on it? No, all that, if if he's a, I'll I'll not do it freely. All right? That's the first principle. Second principle will be, use your God-given intelligence, please. To know your strengths and your weaknesses. Need to do that. Say, well, you know, uh, what should I do with my life? Should I be a brain surgeon? I got news for you. If you have not made the honor roll, you're probably, God doesn't have you to do neurosurgery. Is that fair? And, you know, and if you have a problem stuttering and your abilities that way, probably not public speaking probably politics is not your future or if you're not mechanically inclined all that just sort that out where are your aptitudes all of you have gifts and abilities use your intelligence to determine that and then do your life do your work within those abilities the strengths work within your strengths build up your weaknesses don't do it the other way around all right that's a simple Simple thing. How do I make this choice? Oh, my. You know, the myriad of them. Look at C. Circumstances. This is a big one. Do not consider circumstances the voice of God. Please underline that. It is not the voice of God. Well, it just happened, Pastor. It just happened. Well, A, it didn't just happen. And be careful about that. Most people overemphasize the importance of circumstances in the decision-making process. Circumstances should not dictate the decisions we make. They shouldn't. Let me talk more about that. It's more. It's, really, circumstances are like the Rorschach test. You ever take psych one hundred and one? The Rorschach test, the ink blots, right? What do you see here? Oh, that's Hitler killing something like that. <sighs> Have you just thought of that this second? I'm worried about you, you know. Or what do you, I see butterflies. You know, it's the same one, right? That's the way you ought to think about circumstances. They often work the same way. The way one interprets the events in in our lives often reveals more about our own inner hearts than the outward circumstances. I'm going to evaluate the circumstance. Is it butterflies Or is it Jack the Ripper there? Often it reveals more what's going on. It's completely subjective. Be careful about that. Circumstances don't provide us with the guidance we need to make good decisions. If we try to find them out, we usually come away more confused than informed. It's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 on a different matter. Now we look through a glass darkly. Be careful about that. Be careful. Well... The Lord brought her my way, so I prayed. I love my good friend Ken Rudolph when he preaches on spooky Christians on the college campus, You know, and God speaking through all sorts of circumstances, walking, walking down the sidewalk, going to chapel with a girl you like, and a branch falls from a tree. It's a sign. I should branch out and date other girls. You know, I, Please. Tells more about what's in your heart. Than... don't shirk your responsibilities. A lot of times, that is, we're afraid to do the hard work. It's messy making good, godly, glorifying to God decisions and blaming it on God. Well, the limb fell, or this happened, or that, or right. Be careful about that. And what about open doors? I hear a lot about open doors. Well, the door was open. The doors, hey, look, that doesn't mean you walk through it. Use your head in this thing, right? And open doors are not necessarily the finger of God. It may simply be one of a number of alter, alternatives that need to be considered. I put down some verses for you to think through biblically. 1 Corinthians 16, there was an open door there in Ephesus, and Paul said, God has opened a door, and I'm going to stay. God is winning many, many people to Christ. Wow. I put down another open door where Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, there was an open door there and he didn't stay. All right? So be careful about that. Well, there's an open door, so I walked through it. No. It just may be another alternative. You've got to do the hard work and think through that. Is what is involved in making wise, glorifying to God decisions. God does work through our circumstances, but we are not always aware exactly how. Let me give you a verse on that. In Philippians chapter one, verses twelve to fourteen, Paul was under house arrest in Rome, and he could have said there, Lord, what in the world are you doing in these circumstances? chained to a Roman soldier by the hours. Well, he just kept doing what he knew God wanted him to do. He bore witness to each one of those and so that even uh, even there in the house of the emperor, there were those that were saved through that. Be careful of circumstances. D, let's quickly get to this one. Beware of impressions. I love the Puritans on this. Impressions, you know what they are? They're merely impressions. That grumbling in your stomach, the heartbeat, the palpitations, and all of that, those inner feelings. Be careful. They're not the voice of God on these left and right decisions. Say, well, I love her. My heart's beating. Therefore, God's telling me to marry Well, he may be. I mean, he's brought her, and your heart may be beating, but... It, within the boundaries. You better apply your... head. Your, what do your mom and dad think of her? What, is she, what do her parents think? Uh, what about your aspirations, dreams, and desires? Use the process to make a good choice. Be careful about impressions. God gets blamed for so much. Could be indigestion. Hot pizza. Hot pizza with uh, tamales on last night. And, uh, and be careful about that. Don't be nutty with this kind of stuff. E, seek wise counsel. The Bible urges us from cover to cover be men and women who seek the counsel of others. Do that. Proverbs 1 uh, uh, to 7 urges children to be counseled by their parents. Get the counsel of mom and dad. Man, the uh, young uh, uh, a young adult. Uh, no, he was uh, actually in junior high. A, man, a boy came to an older man and sought counsel, and he said uh, on a decision. And uh, he asked, uh, "Well, how did you get? How did you get so much wisdom?" And he said, uh, "Through uh, through my experiences." Oh, really? And uh, where'd you get all those experiences? He said, uh, "Through my failures." And we learn the benefit. It's like driving down a road in Buffalo. Potholes. A lot of potholes up there. And, uh, you know, we sort of know where the potholes are. And those that have gone ahead in the areas that we may be asking, know where they are. Don't hit that. You'll lose your front end. And it's going to cost you. Get counsel. Get counsel for your mom and dad. It changes as, as you become adults. They become peers as adults, and but the, not under their authority, but counsel. You wouldn't want to do anything without your counsel if they're still living. You know, what do you think of this and, and all that? But counsel as much as you can. It's a wise manner. One finally, if God will know that He'll never lead you contrary to His word. Never, ever, 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 never. He won't do it. So make your decisions within the boundaries of God's moral will and in the process, help yourselves to the principles above. And Remember, you're responsible for the decisions you make. Choose wisely. will give you a few examples from my own life. When I was a senior in high school, my father really uh, had, a, had a hope that I was headed to Princeton University. You know, I was headed in that direction. The Lord began the work in my life, and I wanted to go to a Christian college. And uh, and so it was a big change, big change for my father who was not saved. Didn't understand it at all for months. He agonized over it. <clears throat> I'd given up scholarships if I would go to the Christian school. Um, but I just had a real desire in my heart to want to learn uh, at, at a Christian college or university and had been accepted and and yet I prayed that uh, I, would, uh, I would not go that way unless my father in his way would uh, provide his blessing. He wouldn't use those words. But finally the day came, and he said to me, do uh, you really want to go to that place? And I said, I really do. And he said, uh, all right. And God had brought him to that place. It wasn't a divining rod. It wasn't throwing dice. It wasn't putting out a fleece. It was a desire that I believe God had put in my heart, and God made the door open, and so I made the choice to do that. A good choice, a choice that I'm grateful for to this day. Uh, that choice has led me to this point. I wouldn't be here, probably wouldn't know you, uh, which might have been good for some of you. <laughs> we'll go down that. Then when I was in uh, college, um, I, uh, I, I got to know Faithy. You know, uh, she's from Philadelphia. I was from Buffalo, and we met there, same class, and we were good friends. And uh, I I remember the spring of '74, and I became utterly smitten, and that's the word, utterly smitten with this beautiful woman here. I was I was lost. I kept playing the same three songs over and over, drove my roommate absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. And by Christmas, uh, I uh, I had asked her to marry me. She said yes, and we were going to get married the next summer, but my father asked me to wait after college, which was extremely hard. I don't believe in long engagements, but uh, the Lord uh, gave me a beautiful wife, and uh, and so on. When I thought about her background, I was so utterly attracted to her, her personality and her beauty, her family, you know, godly home, godly uh, parents, and I, th- I didn't know what the Lord had for me at that point, and... Uh, and so, um, made a choice. Could have been left or right, but uh, fell in love with her. And as I look back, God made her for me. You, you don't know God's sovereign will till you look back. Wow, look at that! And then uh, after we were married, I worked in business with my father. He was his own company, and I worked there for over a couple of years. Enjoyed that very, very much. Made a choice to do that. Went to business school there in Buffalo. Same time, and uh, came to uh, the end of that time, and I had a real longing in my heart to, uh, to pastor. I'll never forget to this day. And uh, very hard to leave my father's, I was very close to my father. I mean, there were times on Thursday, he shut. hey, let's shut the office, let's go play tennis. You know, it was, it was great that way. And uh, sometimes we worked 70 hours a week, too much but uh, very hard. He didn't know the Lord, and so for me to pack up with Faithy and little Sarah to go to seminary was very, very hard to go to Indiana, but uh, made the hard decision to do that. It was a decision. I wasn't looking for dreams or impressions or circumstances. In fact, it would have been the easiest thing to stay there. In fact, my father said, I'll give you the business if you don't go. He was going to offer me his life where He said, We'll go down to the attorney, and I'll sign it over now. If you stay here, I just want to work a few more years, and then I'll retire. I buy a house up on Lake Ontario, listen to the waves coming in, and you bring your grandkids or my grandkids up. And and, uh, and so it was heartbreaking for them. But uh, we packed up and, and went to Indiana and began graduate school and spent uh, what would be four years there, and then four years later doing doctoral work and. Hard decisions, hard choices. We weren't looking for writing in the sky, but uh, just wanting to glorify God and to please Him, and uh, and, and we did, and, and and so on. While we were out there, uh, my second year, I, I worked while I was going to class. I got involved with a similar business. A man bought it, but didn't know what to do with it, and all my licensure transferred from New York uh, to Indiana, and. I ran the uh, business for the man, and God bless that, and uh, Gus Sederis, he had just come to know the Word a little bit before that, and, and when I finished my work out there, he begged me, please stay. You can stay here. You can do the work at the church. I said, Gus, that's an easy one. I, I'd stay back where my name is on the building, you know. <laughs> I mean, thank you, Gus, but no thanks. And, and so we began the hard work of a church plant, not 15 miles south of the seminary, and uh, and we ended up staying there for nine and a half years, and just saw the blessing of the Lord uh, in the middle of nowhere, and go through some building uh, programs, and and to see the sweetness of it. Oftentimes, faith in the middle of the cornfields. there, we raised our little ones when they were little. It was kind of like a bubble. And when we come back east, we go like, whoa, this is a different world. I mean, sin everywhere. It just you know, we just sense that versus. The bean fields. I don't know if you have an idea. Some of you may. And then uh, and then uh, at that time, we had had two children. My father died very suddenly, and uh, family was always very important to me. And I remember going for a walk with Faithy and said, Honey, uh, uh, what do you think we try for a third child? You know, like what else is there? You know, you, you know? and uh, had to talk her into it. And didn't know if the Lord would honor that. You know how that goes, Right? And lo and behold, and she had such a horrible pregnancy, and I knew three we'd be done. Here comes Jonathan, and God gave us the caboose there, and uh, but God blessed, and uh, and we packed up. I, I finished my doctorate and worked at the college, and, uh, and one decision after another. Lord, where are you going? What should we do? How do we make good choices? And. And uh, even more recently, just a few years ago, I was really sought by a college to come in the seminary, be their president. I'd been asked a number of years, oh, you're going to be the next, blah, blah, blah. Nice to be wanted. I will say that, right? Rather than say, I wish you'd get out of town. <laughs> and Faith and I uh, seriously uh, thought about that ahead of time, and uh, we got information and counsel, what, is, what, is, what does the college president really do? And uh, and, and And then do us uh, who am I where's my heart, my desire, my strengths and, and gifts, and our desire and so uh we were able to wave that off, say we thank you, but no, thank you, but we we really are pastor and wife and, and love our people dearly and uh uh but uh, I'm sure God has someone and and so on and and even other churches will come and knock and say, Oh, we want you to come and want you pastor, blah 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 that's stuff. And we'll, we'll, so we, we love our people, and our plate is full, and we could be happier. And you, you, you know, so we don't say, Oh, somebody called. That must be the hand of God. It's the finger. Therefore, we should, you know, you've got to evaluate these things before the Lord and get counsel and not trust your feelings. Don't trust your feelings. Watch your moods, watch making decisions when you're in certain moods. When you're real happy, be careful. You're overconfident. When you're down in the dumps, oh, be careful those decisions you make. Be careful, be careful, but make wise choices. Well, lessons for life, you've been awful kind. We'll be done here in just a moment. Lessons for life. Number one, for you to know God's will, I'll say it again, you must know your Bible. Read and study it every single day of your life. Open it up. Read it. Pray that God gives you a Psalm one life. I pray that way in my life. Number two, the Bible does not provide us with a roadmap of our lives individually. God has it, it's unknowable. Live within the boundaries. Rather, think of it as a compass this way north, and this will guide you over the often perplexing terrain of life, isn't it? It is. It's confusing. It's that Ecclesiastes life. Whoa. We make a decision. We don't know if God's going to bless it or not. He's able to do that. But um, the Bible provides us with a compass. Number three, stop trying to discover God's guidance in your daily decisions. Almost it's a shirking of responsibility. It really it's like you're afraid to make it, so you blame God and get kind of, Spooky christian No. God wants you and I to make good decisions, wise choices within the boundaries of his moral will. You're free to live, free to choose. 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 God has a plan for your life. You don't know it. It's not your, your uh, drive. T- I've got to know it before I make the choice. He'll never give it to you. Is it Mary or Susie that I marry? He's not going to give you a dream on it. He won't. He won't. Use your head. Get counsel. Make good choices. Number four, you're free to live and choose within the boundaries of God's Word. That's His moral will. And finally, God's will for you, if you've never trusted Christ the Lord as your Savior from sin, is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. Have you done that? That's the first step. That's the most important thing. God desires that you receive His Son as your Savior. Well, that's, God's, uh, that's uh, question number seven that you asked. How do we know the will of God? I hope that uh, gives you something to think about. Remember the books I've mentioned. And Wednesday night, we're going to have some discussion questions. Come pray with us, and we'll spend the rest of the time trying to clear up any of uh, your questions on this whole issue of God's will.